0: It's a pleasure to be here tonight to speak from the book of Acts. Please turn to that book as we begin. Let me pray. Father, we just commit this time into your hands, into your care. We trust that you will give to us the message that we need to hear as we study that we might learn more about who you are and what you desire of us in your name amen when we chose the passages last year for the study of these of these prayers the prayer passages this passage in acts 4 24 30 was the most Popular one mentioned. It was we went around the room, and everybody that was there gave suggested prayers to cover. And this one was mentioned by many of the of the men there. So I thought it was too. I was gra- I was glad to get the opportunity to speak on it. Um, and as we get into chapter four, I want to give some context to what the situation would have been for the church in Acts chapter 4. Jesus gave his final command in Matthew 28. He he gave the Great Commission to the church, and then he left. In Acts 1, we see in Acts 1, Jesus' departure from earth up into heaven. And in Acts one, the disciples, in Acts one verses six through eleven, the disciples were still confused about the future of the kingdom of God. They were asking Jesus on his way up into heaven, they asked him, Will you Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. So the answer that Jesus gave was wait. And so they waited. And they waited. And as they waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit, they must have spent a significant amount of time in the scriptures in the Old Testament because as we see in the book of Acts, the, the, the disciples, the apostles, they became very proficient at expositing the Old Testament and applying the scriptures of the Old Testament into, into their lives. And not only did they just study the scriptures, but they also we also see in these passages in Acts that they, they spent a lot of time praying. In Acts 1, in verse 14, we see that that all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In Acts 1 again, we have the prayer for the replacement of Judas. In Acts 2, at the end of the chapter, we see that prayer is mentioned at the focus of the early church. And then we get into Acts 3, where Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of, of prayer. And as we go through the book of Acts, we see Jesus ascending up into heaven, telling the disciples, the apostles, to wait. So as they waited, they waited and waited for the coming of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, we see that happening in the day of Pentecost. Then we see Peter's sermon. We see 3,000 believe. And then we see these patterns of church life established between prayer, the fellowship, giving, worship, and more. And then immediately after, after that, where this, this church is growing, that God is adding to the number day by day, that we see Peter and John in chapter 3 begin this saga of which the prayer in chapter 4 is the concluding act. So over these two chapters in Acts, and after, in Acts 3 and Acts 4, we see this this account of what happened when Peter and John went to the, to the temple to, to pray and you can imagine if you start thinking about this, this passage you can, you can imagine it being re- very realistic to some something that we may encounter today in some ways then you're lock, walking along the street and there's a beggar a lame man who's asking for money, mm-hmm. and instead, but this is, that's where it, it becomes very different. That this man who, who says in Acts three had been lame, or in Acts four that he had been lame from birth, over forty years of, and he was over forty years of age. And Peter and John. As they're on the way to the temple, they diverge from their prayer to heal this lame man who had been lame from birth. And if you read the book of Acts, you will notice quickly that preaching and miracles go hand in hand. In the majority of these instances, preaching comes first, and then the miracle comes later to validate and support the preaching. But in this instance, the miracle happened first and the preaching was later that came after and came out of the miracle. It was incredible and it was an obvious miracle. Peter and John teach and preach and there's this crowd that had surrounded him as a result of this miracle. And the account says that 5,000 men believe. But not just does, the, does this miracle attract the attention of, of all of these onlookers who, who want to hear more about Jesus, who, 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 in who, whose name the miracle was performed, but also attracts the attention of the Sanhedrin, who, who take Peter and John into custody and, and talk to them, bring them before themselves the next day. In Acts 4, as we continue on in this account, we see this back and forth between the Sanhedrin and Peter and John in verses 5 through 22. In chapter 7, there's the initial, the initial question which the Sanhedrin would have known the answer to, in whose name do you do this? And Because Peter had already given them that answer yesterday to the crowds. In verses eight through twelve, we see Peter's powerful response, and we see in verses thirteen and fourteen that the the Sanhedrin was powerless to respond because they can see that these men have been with Jesus. So instead they resort to threats in verses 18 or 15 through 18 and Peter responds in verses 19 and 20 or both Peter and John respond in 19 and 20 that they had no choice that they were going to keep on preaching the name of, of Jesus. Verses 21 and 22 as we get into this conclusion to this interaction between the Sanhedrin we see once again that Sanhedrin threatens Peter and John, but they cannot question the results of the miracle. That they, can, that they see that this miracle has taken, taken place and that they were powerless to respond because the people had given the glory to God. And now in verse 23, Peter and John are released and they go back to their friends, they go back to the church. And they give this update to the church on what had happened, and the church—not just in verse twenty-one—we see that the people are praising God, but that that includes the the church as as well. Now, if we back up a chapter, or we back up a couple of chapters. We can read in in Acts 2.47 that praising God and having favor with all the people was a characteristic of the church in that time. Acts 4.21, all the people were praising God for what had happened. There was a certain acceptance and recognition of the early church by the Jewish people. The rulers, the Sanhedrin, may not have been overly thrilled in some ways by them. They may not have been too happy about them that they were still proclaiming this Jesus that they thought they had crucified and killed and done away with. But there was this this recognition and acceptance by the Jewish people. Up until chapter 4 in Acts until this account, the church had really not experienced the truth of the prophecy on Jesus, on persecution. In Luke 21, 12 through 15, we, we read this prophecy of Jesus. But before all this, they would lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering, up to, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake, This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you an answer, a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You can start seeing this happen in in chapter 4. And even after chapter 4 in Acts, we see that the in Acts 5, verse 13, that the people held them in high esteem. In Acts 6, verse 7, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. But this this narrative starts to shift in Acts 4 with the sh- threats of the Sanhedrin. The public peace the early church enjoyed at the beginning of its existence, dis, existence disappeared and was instead replaced with a greater tension. In Acts 4, verse 18 and 21, we see threats. In Acts 5, verse 40, we see that the disciples or the apostles were beaten. But it was not until the death of Stephen that there was widespread persecution. We read in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, that immediately after the death of, of Stephen, that there arose on that day, that that day of the death of Stephen, that there was a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The Sanhedrin moved from threats in chapter 4 to more serious types of persecution a few chapters later. And they had found their man to persecute the church. They had found Saul who was willing and desirous and zealous to persecute the church. And they did it very effectively at that point. And side note here, for those in the, in the studies in Galatians, I'm speaking tonight on this text from Acts 4, but the Galatians studies this week are covering Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24, which is Paul's account of his life persecuting the church and then being saved by Jesus. So if you have time, go back and study that passage if you're not in their studies but the connections as on how all of these books of the scriptures bring the history together and the theology together, all into this to this account of God working in the lives of people, who are so rich and so so incredible. And now we get to verse twenty-four of Acts four to this pivotal prayer this pivotal time. What is it going to be? You can imagine them thinking. As you start experiencing rumblings of persecution, what are we going to do? What should we do? What is the response going to be? Acts 4 Verses 24 through 30 was their response. We see in verse 24, the first half, that they lifted up their voices together. This was a time of unity for the church. Acts 4.32, after the prayer we read, not a full number of those who believed were with one heart, in one soul, there was this special time of unity among the believers that resulted in generosity that res- resulted in outreach that resulted in prayer. but this outward demonstration of this unity of heart was evident in this in this prayer and this was not just just prayer generally but it was prayer it says there are two God. In their unity together as a church, the church did not sit around and worry or seek out other authorities for help, but they went directly to the Lord with their worship and petitions. When it comes time to pray, I sometimes fall into the trap of familiarity in prayer, repetition, routine praying. Just mouthing sometimes the same words over and over again, but this was no repetitious prayer. It was a specific prayer for a specific situation, for a specific concern. The text does not say who prayed it. If there was an individual, specific individual who prayed it, it does not say. It does not provide any other information other than that was a prayer prayed by the church in unity together. I've divided the prayer, the actual prayer itself, of verses 24 through 28, with the worshipful focus on God, within three separate expressions of that worship, and in verses 24 and 29 and 30 has the petition of the prayer so verses 24 through 28 let me read let me read those verses and when they heard it they lifted their voices together to god and said sovereign lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of a father david your servant said by the holy spirit why did the gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had done predestined to take place. These first verses are focused on God. Their prayer was focused on God and his sovereign work in three separate areas. In creation, in scripture, and in scripture, and in history. And we see that they open their prayer by unifying their hearts and their voices together and focusing on their sovereign creator. Boyce writes about this passage, and I quote, when God's people worship God, they always do two things. One, they pray, and two, they reflect on the scriptures. Prayers are talking to God. The scriptures are God's talking to us. And the two always go together. You pray in the right way when you pray scripturally. You study the scriptures in the right way when you study prayerfully. This is what the church was doing. They have been reflecting on the scriptures. Now as they began to pray, the scriptures rose up in them, and they found themselves talking to God in God's own words. And as the prayer goes on, the the, the church quotes from Psalm two, verses one and two. This 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 quote that they they gave a break in which we many times quote scripture as we pray. We many times find a passage or a verse that applies to our situation and and then we, we pray it and we bring out the context and the application in our prayer to God. And the believers were doing the same thing or perhaps we copy them when we do that. But the believers saw themselves in these verses from Psalm to, they saw their sp- specific situation. That it was a, that there was immediate application in their lives of this passage from Song 2 for the early church. On the one hand, there was Jesus. There was the Anointed of the Lord. And it would have had passages, let me read from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 8. Passages like this that would have been on their, on their minds. From Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I am uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice Reminiscent of this prayer that we're studying in Acts 4. Talking about God as creator. Similar themes that the, that the church is bringing into their prayer. Who gives breath, in verse 5, Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who wait in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So on the one hand, there is Jesus, the anointed one of the Lord. The prophesied Messiah The one who had come to accomplish the will of God, the plan of God. And on the other hand, there is Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel. But it was not what they were thinking. These people had gathered to destroy Jesus. They gathered as a group. They gathered the Sanhedrin scheming for years, perhaps on how to destroy Jesus. and then Jesus getting bounced back and forth before he, between the different authorities before he was ultimately crucified. But yet, these clueless people on this hand, they had gathered not simply to destroy Jesus, to remove this thorn in their side, but they had gathered to fulfill the hand of God. They had gathered against Jesus, the anointed of the Lord, to do and to fulfill what God's plan had given them to do. And the believers understood exactly what was going on as they, as they prayed. Luke twenty three thirty four. 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do as he hung on the cross. These people, these Gentiles, the Romans, the, the Jews, they truly did not realize what they were doing, that they were accomplishing the predestined plan of God by killing Jesus we look back in the accounts in the Old Testament we look back at the, the story of the Jews in the Old Testament and we can see the captivity for Judah and Babylon that Judah rebelled they disobeyed God God punished them and they were sent into captivity into Babylon. Until one day a king rose up, Cyrus. And we read in Ezra chapter one, verses one through four, that in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom And also put in writing, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all this people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let every survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold with goods and with beasts besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem Judah rebelled God punished them God turned them over to the wages of their sins and they were sent into captivity to Babylon but yet, years later, they were freed by Cyrus to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the house of God and the city. Turn to Isaiah chapter 44. I want to read a prophecy of this event. In Isaiah 44, Verse 28, prophecy from God through Isaiah to Judah, who says to Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. This prophecy of Cyrus. Continuing on in chapter 45, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places, I will break in pieces. The doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. In verse 7, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So in Isaiah forty-five, in the last verse of forty-four, there's this Isaiah, uh, this prophecy through Isaiah from God about this man by the name of Cyrus. But yet, Cyrus was still decades into the future; he was not even born decades away from being born. Look specifically at verses 4 and 5. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. God called Cyrus by name, and he chose him, and he equipped him and he prepared him for a specific task, even though even though Cyrus did not know God. God used Cyrus, an unbeliever, one that did not fear God or believe in him, as the means to accomplish his purposes, God's purposes in returning the Jews to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple and coming back to the city. And this may have been on the mind of the, of the church as they prayed in Acts 4 that as they prayed that these, these people these unbelievers, these, these people that hated God and did not fear him, that they came together, they had no respect for God, but they came together to accomplish what God had given them to do and planned to take place. And as the church prayed, it brought together this demonstration of God's sovereignty, not just in creation, not just pulling in some scripture, not just pulling in from history, To bring it all together in the recent event of the cross. But then the church makes specific application in their situation. The prayer continues in verses 29 and 30 with this petition that they make for boldness and toward miracles. Verse 29 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What a petition this was. They did not ask God to stop the persecution. They did not ask him for, to grant them favor with the authorities. Instead, their ask in verses 29 and 30 was focused upon upon the three words of look, grant, perform. Look at their threats and in response, God, please grant us opportunities and boldness to speak your word. And also, God, please heal and allow signs and wonders to be performed in the name of Jesus. They asked for two things in their in their prayer boldness for themselves, and also that God would perform miracles and signs. And verse thirty one regards the verse script to the prayer of God's response to them. And we get to verse thirty one, and sometimes and in some ways we may not know what to do I don't know what to do sometimes with this verse or specific application because I don't generally witness the same reaction in my to my prayers by God I don't pray and there's an earthquake that happens as a response but why we we can't expect the same response. We can't expect the response that God is going to hear our prayers. 1 Peter 3.12 That the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In 1 John 5.14 and this is the confidence the confidence that we have toward him that we ask anything according to his will he hears us. And in this specific instance for this specific prayer there was an external a immediate external response that the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And that may not be an expectation that we can have, that we should have, if we pray the same, in the same way, if we pray so many times, if we have the same pressures. That should not be an expectation that we have in prayer. But we can expect God to hear the prayers of those of the of, of the righteous and of those that pray according to his will. Not just was it a external response we could see where you could see the shaking, but there was an internal response to the prayer that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then there was the eternal response uh, that they continued to speak the word of God with boldness and lives were changed for eternity. The story is told of 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 the last prayer of a young woman who lived in Asia under communist rule who was caught attending an illegal Bible study. And some of you, have prob- many of you have probably heard this story before, but in this account, in this story, in this Bible study, the, the pastor was reading from the Bible, and as he was reading, men suddenly broke into the home, terrorizing the believers who were gathered there to worship. The communists shouted insults and threatened to kill the Christians and the leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head. Hand me your Bible, he demanded. Reluctantly, the pastor handed over his Bible, his prized possession, and the guard threw the word of God on the ground at his feet. He glared at the small congregation, we will let you go but first you must spit on this book of lies anyone who refuses will be shot a soldier pointed his gun at one of the men you first the man slowly got up and knelt down by the bible reluctantly he spit on it praying father forgive me he stood up and walked to the door the soldier stood back and allowed him to leave okay you the soldier said nudging a woman forward in tears she could barely do what the soldier demanded she spat only a little but it was enough she too was allowed to leave Quietly, a young girl came forward. Overcome with love for her Lord, she knelt down and picked up the Bible. She wiped off the spit with her dress. What have they done to your word? Please forgive them, she prayed. And with that, the soldier put his pistol to her head and poured the trigger. To quote again from Boyce, "Jesus was and is upon the throne. He is the king. He is ruler in Zion. Servants you can bind, but the word of God is not bound. And that unleashed, unbound, powerful word of the gospel reached out from Jerusalem, that remote city of the Roman Empire, to permeate and eventually to transform the entire world. End quote. The early church had a choice before them. Were they going to bow to the demands of the authorities and not preach Christ? Or were they going to obey God and preach Christ? And they made their choice and they prayed for boldness. They prayed for God to work. My life is brief. Your life is also brief. We exist for a short moment in eternity and time. If you live for Christ, if you want to live for Christ, you will base opposition. And the opposition is going to take the different forms. It's going to be different for different people. But what are you going to do? Will you trust God that he has put you in a particular place at a particular time to live for Christ with boldness? Are you willing to to pray for these opportunities? Are we are we willing to take this prayer from Acts and make it our own? Are we willing to pray that God will give us opportunities? And then are we also willing to trust God to give us the boldness to act in those opportunities? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much that we have this prayer in the Bible, that we have this example of the early church, that they were not ashamed of you, that they were willing to recognize your sovereignty and then to trust you in their lives as they proclaimed the gospel to others and as they lived their lives. Help us also that we would be willing and able to do likewise in living for Christ. In your name, amen.